Hi, I'm Michelle. A random meeting in the street with my fabulous friendly neighbour Liz resulted in the creation of this podcast. Finding ourselves at the same stage of life, we've got to know each other over cups of tea and maybe something stronger on my sofa. With seven kids and stepkids between us, we've been around the block a bit and are now redefining ourselves in midlife as empty nesters. Join us on the sofa for a chat. There's always room for one more. just wasn't enough information eight years ago when I first started experiencing what I now know to be that those perimenopause and quite classic perimenopausal symptoms. So the anxiety, the depression, the really dark moods, low moods, which was super out of character for me. You know, I'm not always, I don't always bounce out of bed, but I am pretty much a, a positive, happy person. But I just couldn't shrug off this feeling of like anger and sadness. Hi, welcome to Two Women Chatting. I'm Michelle. And I'm Liz. And welcome back to our special menopause episode. This is part two. We've got some great chats coming up with Lisa Snowden and Lavina Meta, MBE. But first, let's get back into that conversation with Alice and Laura from last time. So that's Alice Smelly, health journalist, and Laura Biggs, CEO of Innovate Events. And they're founders of the Menopause Mandate with Mariella Frostrup and Carolyn Harris, MP. Let's go straight to it. It just shows how far we've come in the last 15 years Mm. that not only are we putting it in magazines and on TV shows and campaigning and having a rally, but it's women like you that have have really charged with this message and raised awareness. And, you know, as as I was saying earlier... People like Liz and I, um, you know, if you're a bit Insta-friendly, uh, if you go on, if you watch daytime TV, you become aware of what's what's happening. And, and these symptoms are uh, uh, a topic that we can share together. What I am more concerned about is the diverse and more ethnic communities who culturally may not have access to this kind of information. How are you trying to reach them through the mandate? We absolutely are. So when, when we were writing the book, for example, we worked with Dr. Nigat Arif, who is a, a presenter and absolutely amazing. And she explained how the um, how, how you know ethnic minorities simply is not talked about, but also it's perceived as being a white middle class women's condition because you don't have pictures of black women and Indian women and Chinese women on the menopause posters and how that has to change as well as it becoming a topic of conversation. And that's very much what we're trying to do with mandate as well. Menopause affects absolutely every woman. Yeah, well, we're busy. We're about to announce by the time this podcast comes out, probably we've announced our patrons and we've got some uh, patrons that are going to help us uh, reach out to the to those minority groups. And, you know, again, it's not just menopause. It is women's health in general that that the diversity you're just not getting through because it's just not spoken about. I think I'm right in saying the guy has said mm-hmm. to us before that in Muslim, there isn't actually a word for menopause. No, there's no word for menopause. I think the closest word, oh gosh, I can't remember it. I think it means barren is the most, mm. is the most sort of parallel. Yeah. But she's been extraordinary. She's done TikToks um, to kind of reach that community, which, which has done. And she, it's been absolutely revolutionary. 
Gosh, that's so interesting, isn't it? Because often I think menopause was associated with the end of your life of fertility and you're not much, you know, used to society anymore. Oh, you know, one thing I would love to ask you about, and I was talking to Liz about this earlier, is the grandmother hypothesis. The fact that human race women, females, and four subspecies of whales are the only ones that go through menopause. Can, can you tell me a bit about the sort of Darwinian theory behind why menopause is so important and should be celebrated? <laughs> yes, yeah, so there are basically, I, I think giraffes do. They've now said that giraffes go through menopause as well. So there you go. Um, <laughs> you can just imagine the memes, can't you? But they're, and they're not grumpy either. But uh, no, those, so we were trying to work out why Mariella and I were trying to write about why why we go through menopause and there were kind of two two schools of thought one of which was well you die by the time you're 50 so it doesn't really matter and we kind of looked into that and we said we don't really like that one and actually three school years and ten comes from the bible and is meant you know look, there's lots of older women in history it's just you kind of had to get through being born and childbirth and then you're pretty likely to live to so the grandmother hypothesis basically says that women are more useful after menopause than they are, or as useful after menopause, um, than they are before menopause. So we are the grandmothers or the grandma whales, and we look after the grandchildren and we help them forage. And therefore, the longevity genes are passed down and we allow the mothers to have more children to have you know to explore the tribe they actually say that um you know the grandmother is, is responsible for the fact that particularly in our book it says that the grandmothers are responsible for you know the human race kind of exploring and setting down in agricultural communities because we're useful after menopause and that needs to be remembered and people who are grandmothers and look after their grandchildren need to have mini breaks and presents and things That's like amazing. that well, the other thing that follows on from that is that women aged 50 to 65 are the greatest contributors to our economy. Is that right? Laura, what would you say about that? I think we've got to protect us. You know, there's too many women leaving the workforce. There's too many women saying, I've got to go part time, not because they want to, because they feel tired or they feel that they can't keep up with their younger colleagues. And actually, as an employer of lots of women in, in my past, and I can look back now and think, gosh, you know, I didn't spot the signs, I didn't see it, but there was people there really struggling. But ultimately, I think people are leaving jobs because they feel that they, I mean, we're getting hundreds of stories like that coming through from where we've asked people to share their stories, that people just feel that they can't keep up. And um, and that's tragic because if we're losing that knowledge from the workforce, then we won't be such a great asset to the economy if we don't protect that generation of women. But there is there is some statistic, and I can't remember. But basically, in FTSE 500 companies, if you if the if women are chief executives, the company is worth something like, and I'm pulling this off the top of my head, something like 10 percent more. So there is an absolute value in having women in these jobs. And yet there's another statistic, which I can remember, which I've just been writing about, which is that they reckon almost a million women have left their job because of menopause and that one in 10 women will leave their job because symptoms are so severe and it just isn't the support. Because people don't realise that that's what's happening. They just think, oh, I'm getting older or I'm just not as good as I used to be. Or I can't keep up with technology. I use the story all the time that a dear colleague of mine, an ex-colleague, I mentioned that she should apply for a job and it was a cracking job. 
and I bumped into her and she said, I said, did you apply for that job? And she said, I didn't, you know, because I'm just not up to that right now. And I went, oh my goodness, of course you are. You are. She said, no, I'm just not firing on all cylinders. And I said, have you thought that you might be perimenopausal? And she said, well, I thought about that. But I asked my husband, he said, no, you're too young. (laughs) She's 44. Because he'd know. Because he'd know, of course. Can I ask you a bit more about HRT? Because Liz and I come from different yeah. places and you wanted to maybe ask about... Well, I, I, you know, I'm hoping that the myths will be dispelled about, you know, HRT and blood clotting. Because that's why I went to see the doctor. And lovely lady doctor, I've got. Um, but she sort of said, because mm, I have, I carry a, a, a blood clotting gene called V. Leiden. And basically was told I couldn't have it. This was a while ago, you know, I'm 58. And that, and I would like to know, could I have it now? But that's the other thing. You <laughs> that's say, you know, question. what's the cut-off date? There seems to be no clarification of when you can go on to it. Well, weirdly, the nice on. guidelines are very kind of specific. It should be first-line treatment for quite a lot of menopause symptoms. And basically, you can, I'm not sure if this is nice guidelines, but doctors basically concur that you can stay on it for as long as you like. And... Ideally, you take it within a 10-year window of menopause or before the age of 60. But the blood clot is from the tablets. So the oral tablets are metabolised by your liver. I'm not a doctor, by the way. I'm just repeating what I learned. Mariella and I spend half our lives doing this. We're not doctors, though. But they're they're metabolised by the liver, which is why there's the risk of blood clot. Whereas the transdermal, so the patches and the gel, which go on your skin and go through the skin, don't have any risk of blood clot. And this kind of exemplifies what we're doing with menopause mandate which is no no blame on gps at all absolutely not they have a very very difficult job but everyone should know that i mean god if we know it and we're like you know health journalists and Mm. company directors then everyone just should just know it and the, the information should be readily available and it should be taught earlier in medical school. I don't think there's quite as much emphasis as perhaps there could be within medical. And I'm no doctor. Didn't, don't know whether you realise that. But no, I'm no doctor, of course. But from what I have heard from research is that it, it's really not dwelled on much in medical school. And it's not until people are out in perhaps GP communities and they're faced with people who are coming to them with, well, what is it? Up to about 39 symptoms can make up perimenopause and menopause. Mm-hmm. Is it over 50? So that's mm. that's a huge array of problems to be faced and to, to be working out on your feet. Um, and until we do get that national formulary that Carolyn has talked about, so that all kinds of HRT are available to all kinds of postcodes and all kinds of classes of people, not based on your your economic background or your social or your cultural background, we're still going to see such a disparity. And I think the other thing as well that I'd love to talk to you about is it's it's not just about topping up your hormones in the short term to get you through menopause, is it? There is such fabulous long-term benefits of taking HRT. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I luckily, um, I obviously haven't written a book like Alice has, but I have read her book, which is brilliant, by the way. But also, you mentioned in my intro that we run um, Let's All Talk Menopause, which is weekly talks with leading experts so we bring in an expert every week and talk about um like tonight for example we've got a menopause nurse and she's going to talk about hrt the different types of hrt when it's offered and what it does and then every week we every month we have it ask anything so that's one for you liz i will get your question and then i will ask 
we've got Dr. Juliet Balfour on at the end of the month and uh, I'll ask your blood clot question because she'll definitely give us an answer on that. But without a doubt, every week we get what the benefits are for HRT and it is it protects you um, for dementia, your bone health, your heart, your blood pressure, your waistline, your mental health, your skin, your hair. It's not a magic youth drug by any stretch of the imagination but it does help replenish those hormones that we lose naturally at the end of our cycle. Um, and some people it works well for, some people it doesn't. But it, there's the, the long-term health benefits, everyone tends to say, and the experts that we have on, outweighs the risks that are associated, which, which are very, very small. And also with the body identical um, HRT, that is generally, that's what you should be getting, those risks are very, very low. HRT is part of the jigsaw if you want to or you know you choose to take it but things like diet and exercise and maintaining muscle and bone mass and having to drink less not eating processed foods you could, there's no point slapping on the HRT and then like leading a really unhealthy life as Laura says it's not a magic bullet it's not a magic youth potion you kind of have to do the work yourself as well but Liz just to say it isn't ever too late for example my mother who is 79 has just started taking HRT. So she's had UTIs since, well, I can remember, and a forward-thinking GP only very recently has said, oh, you should be having some vaginal estrogen to help with your UTIs. And for the first time in, I would say, 25 years, she's sleeping through the night, not getting up for a wee five times a night, and her UTIs are pretty much gone. Well, that's fantastic, and that's that's yeah. and that's what your mandate is, is telling people because I yeah. I, I generally didn't know that. What you're doing is incredible. Mm. Thank you so much for all that you do. I mean, I know, I'm sure there's many many hours of unpaid work that you're doing and research and events that you're attending. And like, well, thank you, thank you for all you're doing. What's next for? We've got World Menopause Day coming up on October the 18th. So, what's next for the mandate? What are you doing on that day, and what's in your future? Well, we've just, yeah, Alice and I were grinning to ourselves. We were saying um, we are at the minute working pro bono because we're very passionate about it and we're very passionate about setting menopause mandate up as a not-for-profit. So over the summer, we've been super busy making that happen. Um, we're delighted that Mariella has agreed to be our chair, which is brilliant because she is the busiest woman in the world, but she's also super, super passionate. So she's our chair. And then we've got these amazing patrons that will be up on our website by the time this podcast comes out. And we're gathering together on the 18th. Our plans are still being made clear, but we will ultimately have a gathering in Parliament Square, um, kicking off about four o'clock. And we've got some really, really, really exciting news to announce there that I can't tell you too much about. But Alice and I, Alice has been working all weekend on one of those projects. And um, we're busy and I've seen the, yeah, she's doing a brilliant, brilliant job. And we've also got another really exciting part that we are going to be announcing on that day. And it will be really helpful. So all the stories that are coming in, we felt that we needed to do something. So these two things that we're going to be announcing on World Menopause Day will help, I think, help a lot more people um, access information and understand the menopause and actually there's some women that absolutely sail for it. So we're not saying this happens to everyone. And lots of people say, oh, you're scaremongering or it's doom. I feel great. 
brilliant if you do, but some people go through puberty fine. Some people have babies with no pain. Some other people have a terrible, terrible time. And we speak about it in puberty. We speak about it in childbirth, but we don't talk about it in perimenopause and menopause. So that's what Alice and I are there hopefully to do and share our stories. And that's all the two things that we've got planned will help with that. Uh, one thing that did occur to me when I was reading through all of our stories um, on, on our website is that for every single woman who's written in with their story, that represents thousands and thousands of women. And it just made, it's really made me think about how many there are out there who haven't got any idea what's going on and who don't have access to treatment or, as we were saying, can't afford the treatment. It's really serious and it really needs sorting out. She barely needs an introduction, but our next guest is Lisa Snowden. She has been at the forefront of a lot of the menopause conversation, certainly in the UK. And she's one of the nation's best-loved radio and TV presenters. You see her on This Morning. She has a number of podcasts that she's been involved with. She was one of the UK's most successful models, and she was spotted at the age of 19. She's been on Strictly Come Dancing. She's won MasterChef, the most recent series. She is a woman of many talents. A lot of people have read and seen Lisa commenting on Instagram about her menopause journey. And we're thrilled to have her here today. Apologies for the audio quality in advance. She sent us her voice notes and I've done my best, but as you know, I'm no technician. (laughs) But here's Lisa with her journey through the menopause and perimenopause. I'm just the sort of girl that is always really honest and open about how I'm feeling, what I'm going through. And more so, I guess, with perimenopause and menopause, because there just wasn't enough information eight years ago when I first started experiencing what I now know to be that those perimenopause and quite classic perimenopausal symptoms. So the anxiety, the depression, the really dark moods, low moods, which was super out of character for me. You know, I'm not always, I don't always bounce out of bed, but I am pretty much a, a positive, happy person. But I just couldn't shrug off this feeling of like anger and sadness and I was emotional and I was crying and you know I didn't know what I was looking out for the word perimenopause I'd never even heard of it you know we learned so much at school about pregnancy and puberty and periods but you never learn about perimenopause or menopause you're just sort of left to your own devices after that. And I think, yes, of course, I'd heard of the word menopause. There was people like Meg Matthews who were the pioneers when it comes to talking about menopause. And Mariella Frostrop, I remember seeing a documentary that she made on TV that was just so honest and so educational. And I thought, okay. And that's when you start thinking about menopause. But for me, I was like, I just didn't think that I was that age. I I just thought it was happens to older women. So 42, you know, I guess it's classed as quite an early perimenopause, but not really, not when I speak to lots of women. I think, you know, yes, it's usually mid 40s or up, but I don't know. Everybody's really different. Everybody experiences very individual, different, personal, you know, it's, it's all really different with every woman, basically. And also what's strange is that Obviously, in the beginning was the anxiety and the dark moods and the feeling completely lost and scared to do things and not able to process everyday easy tasks and and, and jobs that came in. I'd be like, oh, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I would lie in bed at night worrying about it. 
you lose your confidence and then you sort of that you sort of get a handle on that and then something else will wear its ugly head whether it's your cycles are completely out of whack and you go from a 28 day cycle to a 18 day to a 12 day to a five day and it just is all over the place and then the hot flushes started and the night sweats and then you start really worrying about whether you're you can even show up for work because the night sweats stop you from sleeping So then you wake up in the morning and you feel a shell of yourself. Then the hot flushes and the panic and the anxiety that all kind of are there at the forefront. Then you sort of medicate yourself with extra caffeine and get completely jittery and over anxious again. It's sort of like this vicious circle, really, where you're like, no sleep, have caffeine, feel like absolute crap, have loads of chocolate. You put on weight anyway because it was sort of everything that happened to me. It was like three stone I put on. and But then you're snacking more because you're not sleeping. And then you're drinking wine in the evening because you're so relieved that you made it to the end of the day. And that's like your only sort of like release. And then again, you don't sleep the next day. So it is this sort of circle of you just spiral out of control. So it wasn't till I sort of met Naomi, I'd gone through two different doctors, both very, you know, recommended through friends of mine, both extremely expensive. You know, you've got the appointment, then you've got the scans and then you've got, oh my gosh, it was just like about a thousand pounds each doctor. And I was just like, this is just, this is criminal and I'm still not feeling great. And then of course, there's the different camps, the body identical, the bio identical. And it's just a really uncertain confusing lonely place to be so you know by kind of starting up my midweek menopause madness where I, I, I met Naomi online on Instagram and I just clicked with her and I thought she's so she's got such a lovely way about her she's so gentle she's so thorough um, and so we started our midweek menopause madness which we do every week we usually we try to do it on a Wednesday so it's th- right in the middle of the week and it's Everything to do with the menopause, perimenopause, signs, symptoms, different regimes of HRT, or everything you could possibly hope to hear and learn, we talk about it. We No subject or topic is out of bounds. I'm really honest about libido, pelvic floor, lack of libido, everything. I just throw it all at the wall and just we all just have a nice little get together. It's a safe space every Wednesday. Sometimes we do Q&As. So gorgeous women send me their stories, their questions, and we put them to Naomi. Um, and so, yeah, it's like it's been it'll be three years next year, next January in 2023. So oh, there's still so much to talk about. There's still so much to learn. And like I said, every woman has a very individual, personal perimenopause or menopause journey. It's not one size it's all and you know Naomi got me on the right HRT it took about two months to get into a really good place where I got my flushes down my sleep back on track I have to say it's not a silver bullet it's not like you take HRT and all of a sudden you're fixed it's like I always say it's like a 360 approach to our health we have to take responsibility so we have to make sure that we don't eat as much as we used to smaller portions think about what you eat try not to have too much sugar keep the wine and the alcohol boo to to a minimum get that exercise move your body go for those walks do a new class 
podcast, try a new exercise, a new sport, just get your body moving, get those endorphins flowing around your body and that serotonin boosted in your brain. Have sleep rituals, have breathable sheets, a cool dark room, pillow sprays, CBD drops. There's so much that we can do for ourselves, you know, things that trigger you. Is it that coffee? Is it that extra cup of coffee? Is it certain people? Or is it like maybe getting in the car and driving to a place you've never driven to before? It's things like that, that just you, we just change as people. It doesn't work for everybody firstly. I'd say the majority of people it does. But sometimes maybe you're not a patch girl. Maybe you're a spray girl. Maybe you're a gel girl. You know, there's so many different ways to use it and to apply it. And I know that a lot of people are still so scared of HRT because it was demonized in the early 2000s. And there's still that hangover from it. A lot of doctors are still scared to prescribe it. But, you know... (laughs) As you know, like working with the menopause mandate, there's all those sort of things that we're trying to eradicate. You know, we want HRT to be obviously free, more available, more accessible, something that women are given. We want um, ideally there to be a a menopause specialist in every GP surgery across the country. I mean, Mariella Frostrop came to me and asked me if I'd be part of the menopause mandate. And, you know, it's a collective of of incredible women. Obviously, we've got the force to be reckoned with that is Mariella and Carolyn Harris, the MP. But you've got Gabby Logan. You've got Dr. Potter. You've got so many incredible experts, women who know what they're talking about in this field and women who are women's women who are passionate about helping other women to gain their power back and to learn about their bodies and what they're entitled to and what they need and what route they can choose to go down. So I guess I'm just hugely passionate about this and just making sure women don't suffer in silence anymore, making sure they don't go 10 years with the wrong diagnosis and that, you know, they get to the point where they want to leave their husbands or leave their jobs not being there for their families. I mean, it's heartbreaking. You literally, it it doesn't need to be like this. And that's why I guess we will continue to work hard so that women get what they need and the help they need. And obviously, a workplace policy is another thing. Every workplace should have, you know, a, a menopause, a buddy, a friend, somebody that they can go to within their office, not their manager or their boss. And, you know, talk about the working conditions, talk, talk about maybe flexible hours, breathable fabrics, more comfortable working conditions, air conditionings, fan, little simple things that are really going to make the day-to-day easier to deal with, um, especially when those sort of first symptoms hit you like a freight train and you just feel completely out of sorts and unrecognisable to your friends and family. I think talking about it is, is hugely important, spreading the word, getting that conversation louder. You know, speak to your partners, explain that you don't understand what's going on and that it, this is a new phase and, you know, it, it just needs a little bit of help, advice, support, a big cuddle, you know. I mean, I'm so lucky with my George. He's just been fantastic. But, you know, not everybody's as lucky or not everybody is as open as I am some people are incredibly private but I think communication is key and getting that support is crucial wasn't that fantastic to have Lisa really appreciate her time so we're joined now by Lavina Meta MBE she's the founder of feel good with Lavina and you may remember her from during COVID when she was awarded an MBE for services to health and fitness 
Now, her mission is to help all ages up to 100 feel good physically, mentally and reduce risks of common chronic diseases through her concept of exercise snacking. Lavina is a patron of the menopause mandate. She's recently shared her own perimenopause journey on social media to help normalise the conversation in the South Asian community, where many women are suffering in silence. She wants to break the taboos, raise awareness, change the narrative and help women feel empowered to find solutions, as well as educating the men around us. Lavina promotes the power of exercise and lifestyle changes to help women embrace this phase. Can you tell us more about exactly what you're bringing to the menopause mandate? Oh, I'm bringing me, literally, uh, me struggling and finding my way through this whole new world of um, being perimenopausal. So I'm 44 and I think I started having symptoms when I was about 40, 41, but suppressed them and I was in the midst of kicking off, you know, my whole new career path and the COVID pandemic. So I am currently just sharing my journey on social media which I started in around May this year. And it's to really try and get some awareness and education and more than anything, get my South Asian community talking and understanding. Even understanding the word perimenopause would be amazing. (laughs) Carolyn Harris was telling us just how difficult it is to communicate to some of the cultures and communities in the UK. And you're a really important part of that, aren't you? Oh, thank you. Well, I'm just being myself. I'm really just trying to put myself out there. So at least any women that are, you know, struggling or suppressing symptoms. And I've heard some, you know, terrible stories since I've opened up. I just want them to see someone that is real, maybe looks like them, is relatable and know that there are solutions and that we're all in this together. You know, I think it's such a learning curve for myself as well. So yeah, I think South Asian communities have a real issue generally talking about some of the sort of taboo topics, you know, things from mental health to um, periods, sex, you know, um, pregnancy even, and now the world of menopause and perimenopause. Perimenopause is sort of a relatively new term, isn't it? I didn't know I was going through, I'm older, you know, I'm 58 and I didn't know I'd gone through perimenopause. What could you tell people about some of the symptoms of perimenopause? I definitely think some sort of movement, um, exercise. I'm really a massive advocate for strength training, which we can talk about. But in terms of lifestyle changes, you know, eating healthily, getting enough sleep, moving the body is so good, not just physically, but mentally. And before even this whole new world of uh, perimenopause, and I realized that I was in it, I've always said exercise for sanity, not vanity. And I actually started my fitness journey very late in life. So I only joined the gym after having three kids. I was never really into exercise as such. And it was when I fell in love with lifting weights and how it makes me feel strong, body and mind. And then having done the science behind exercise and its magical powers, you know, what it was doing for me. I decided to just research it and it's incredible just to see how it can really help common chronic illness reduction. So reducing your risks of things like type 2 diabetes to heart disease, linking it on to especially women's health, osteoporosis, which we know is a huge issue as we age and as we go through perimenopause and hit the menopause. 
it's really important that we keep our muscle mass up and our bones strong. So I have my concept of exercise snacking, (laughs) which is all about trying to get people to do bite-sized amounts to build up to the government guidelines but it's to make people realize that you've got to find something you enjoy I'm not telling everyone to lift heavy weights but even if it's uh, body weight training and then adding light weights you should be trying to do that at least twice a week as well as the cardio aerobic typical activities like walking jogging swimming or cycling I think it's really important you know exercise plays a huge role in especially things like I felt when I've been feeling you know bouts of anxiety I think we can all probably relate to that having gone through the pandemic but just the mood lifting effects that exercise gives me so just stepping out for five minutes in fresh air you know is proven to be such a great tool for Um, It's really like an antidepressant, isn't it? The feel-good endorphins (laughs) just get released, which I love. Bringing it back to perimenopause nutrition and how it links to weight gain, have you got any good tips? Um, What should you be really filling your diet with and what maybe you should be limiting perhaps as you enter perimenopause and menopause? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm not a nutritionist. I always put that out there. But I think we should all be trying to minimise processed foods and trying to get easy quick recipes that's why when I typed mum's recipe book up I was like we're not having anything more than four or five steps I think there's two recipes in that whole book that goes a little bit to six steps because I want it to be easy we're all short of time you know I'm a mum of three I'm juggling work and life and the house and everything and the little dog that we've got over lockdown (laughs) like a lot of people But it's about colourful plates. So I always say try and eat the rainbow in the sense that fill your plate up with um, lots of vegetables. I eat a lot of berries. They're really high in antioxidants. I try and make as much as I can home cooked, whether that's batch cooking for tomorrow's lunch as well, because at least I know I've got something healthy that's left over from dinner. And I do recommend protein in the sense that if we are strength training, we want to build muscle mass. And I feel like protein is one of the areas that if women do focus on, you're going to feel more satiated, and you're less likely to binge. And we want to get a full range of food types. So I'm not saying cut carbs out. Carbs are not the enemy, but maybe go for more complex carbohydrates. So I often make switches like the regular potato. I've fallen in love with sweet potato and I have quinoa and maybe some brown rice rather than just always having white rice. And the same with pastas. I am in love with food. Food is like my life, having my mom cook delicious food for us. But you can get some really um, amazing different types of pastas that are made out of chickpeas or peas and lentils and just give them a try, you know. Home-cooked food, I think, focus on protein, staying hydrated and finding maybe if you have got a sweet tooth, things that will uh, just give you that sweet fix but aren't too naughty so you know the normal like I love dark chocolate and I've got really into Mm -hmm. having just a little square if I need it especially when the hormones are fluctuating so much or maybe one date filled with some nut butter or an apple and peanut butter you know I've kind of got some rice cakes and things and I keep nuts at my table I always try and get a handful of almonds in but it's it's not being restrictive. You're not going to take the pleasure out of food. I think life's too short for that. 
with a menopause mandate, do you ever all get together? I can only imagine that would be the best dinner party ever. Oh, gosh. You know, my husband actually said that yesterday. He was like, you've got to try and get everyone together. When we met in Parliament, which was in June, it was, I think, one of the highlights of this year because... It was a bunch of amazing women and we were all so passionate about this cause and we were all in this um, small room in the House of Parliament. It was just such an electrifying atmosphere and the the ladies I met, you know, like we've seen on um, TV and radio and they're there. There were women just like me, you know, ordinary housewives and mums that were struggling and sharing their stories and it was just something about all of us going through it together and how we all want to help women out there. It's, it's, it's amazing. So I am very looking forward to the rally on the 18th of October, which I know is going to be released very soon. And I really hope lots of you can come down and um, we can make as much noise as we can about this. It's an incredible women supporting women movement, isn't it? Oh, totally. And your whole team has just driven so much. I mean, raised awareness, driven policy, made some real difference in relatively short time too. Yeah, I think, I mean, there are so many um, incredible women, part of this team that are working so, so hard on this. You know, I only met uh, Mariella and Alice at their book launch and it was in um, May when I had just started HRT and it was the same week that I had watched the Davina Channel 4 documentary which had brought me to tears and I'd got my husband and son to literally they they heard me crying my eyes out and they they stopped the program and came and watched with me and we were all holding hands and you know it was a real eye-opener for me because I think it was a lot of the suppressed symptoms like a lot of us we just kind of bury it and troop on and then I realized that oh my gosh I'm really going through this and the brain fog you know mummy's forgetting things like it'd been a bit of a joke in the house and having the men around me kind of listening to the science behind it and especially those you know the, the research showing how the brain visually changes in that documentary it was such an eye-opener that that's when I went live the next morning, literally barefaced, crying my eyes out, saying, I'm perimenopausal and I'm just going to come out there so that I can share my journey. And I'm still, you know, figuring out my path with HRT. It's not been a simple overnight change for me, which I think is hopefully relatable and that I'm going through the NHS route at the moment. So I'm just trying that out as well. And I'm just kind of sharing as much as I can with women. So when I went live, actually, that day, I started getting so many messages. They were private DMs. So I still feel like my Asian community, the women there, probably don't feel comfortable sharing on a post. So they would rather DM me or send something to me directly. But the stories I've had have been heartbreaking from, you know, things like they're really struggling in their marriages or their relationships with their teenagers. You can just imagine, you know, so many hormones in the house, which I've had as well with mine. And uh, women that have left their jobs, they just felt at rock bottom. And there was a few that I got really concerned about where they were just sounding like they had nowhere to turn. And that's why it's given me this motivation to really continue this journey with everyone isn't it great that such you know powerful 
I'd call important women in our society are really wanting to talk to us. I know, I know, little old us. Yeah, I mean... Um, Seriously. It, it shows that, you know, we're, we're talking about the right stuff and that's what I'm proud of. But it also shows a side of them that I'm really impressed by, that they are so keen to get the message out that they don't mind <laughs> coming to talk to, to a little no, but old true. us. That's, but that's what's so good because it is... We all get affected by the menopause, some more than others, but, you know, we are all in it together. Yeah, every single one of us is going to be... And actually, everybody's going to be affected, whether you're male or female. But But the men will get the anger. Yeah. But but it's true. Everybody's affected. Yeah. And what I like also is that it's introducing the menopause to younger women Mm. and not frightening them. Not, Mm. not, if something happens to them, you know, they get some of the, the, the symptoms as they get a little bit older... They're not terrified. They know what's coming. Mm. And if the right treatment's out there, for those that suffer a lot, we don't, you know, not everyone needs HRT. No, that's the thing, isn't it? It's just having education and choice. So if you do, when, when you do get those symptoms, you think, oh, okay, that's probably what it is. I'm not scared. Mm. I don't think I'm necessarily going the Alzheimer's route or something like so many of us have. As I said, I thought I was having a you know, brain, brain tumour. I'd got a brain tumour. Um, I should have been told that it wasn't. Mm, I, I appreciate mm. that, you know, that the doctors worry about it, but it is a very common symptom to be forgetful. It is, it is. But I think the, perhaps the next stage of uh, learning about the menopause is to just adjust the time frame. We should be learning about it in our 20s or at school and not when we're facing it head on. Or didn't realise that's what was affecting us all this time. So we we just need a massive time adjustment on information and resources. Did Carolyn Harris say it's going to go on the curriculum or she wants to get it on the curriculum for school? I don't know. Because I think it should be. Yeah, I think it should be. You know, when you, what's it called? Pushy, never can remember how you say that. P-S-H-E-E-E. Yeah, yeah. 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 That stuff, yeah. Why don't they cover it? Mm. Why not? If it's not, it should be. But it, you, you're right, it should be introduced at an early age. Anyway, do you know what? It's a topic that probably we'll want to come and revisit again sometime. I hope we do, and I hope things have moved on. Mm. You know, let's let's hope that, that things have changed in Parliament in the UK and that the mandate gets stuff done. That's not the right word. Oh, they will. They'll drive it through, I think. They are a force to be reckoned with. I was going to say it's a hot topic, but that sounds really bad. But, you know, for you in particular, it's been more... You've been affected perhaps more by the menopause than I have. So yeah. it's, it's much closer to your heart. And also I'm, I'm you know, popping out the other end. As it were. <laughs> As it were. <laughs> Not literally. Um, but yeah, but it, 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 yeah. It matters. It, ma- it does. Menopause matters. for listening to two women chatting with our special guests if you enjoyed this episode it would mean the world to us if you left a rating and review even better share with your friends and please get in touch we'd love to hear from you there's a link on our instagram bio and facebook pages 